Good morning, and welcome to this celebration of our Lord's Resurrection, Resurrection Sunday morning, and perhaps the most unusual Resurrection Sunday morning ever uh, in really in the history of our church, or really the history of any church. And uh, it is indeed undoubtedly an unusual Sunday morning. It is undoubtedly an unusual Resurrection Sunday morning. But I trust that as we gather together in this form, that it will be a time of encouragement to us, uh, that it will be time of reminder of the resurrection of our Lord, and that it will indeed be a celebration. I know that we would much rather be together uh, in person for this celebration uh, Sunday, but be that as it may, the Lord is in control of all things. He is sovereign, and in His providence, He has seen fit to not allow us to meet in person this week, but I'm glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, we have folks that are regularly part of our assembly joining us by video this morning. And then as I was watching just before we went live, uh, a good number of you uh, kind of visiting us from other places, family, friends, former members, and it is just such a joy. Uh, I know that it is unlikely that the group that is watching this morning uh, would, would perhaps ever be together in one room. And so it's just so neat to see us gathered together this morning. And what a wonderful morning it is, uh, a morning for us to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. Um, if you, um, are you, you are connected with me as a friend on Facebook, you might have seen my post this morning. Um, here in Round Rock, in case you're not in this area, we had some, some storms overnight. And as I was driving here uh, this morning, about 8.30 or so, driving here to the church, um, those clouds were beginning to break up, and I saw a rainbow, and at first it was just a half a rainbow, and as I continued to drive, it emerged to be an entire uh, full rainbow, rainbow all the way across the sky. And I was reminded of the promises that we just talked about a few weeks ago when we studied the Noahic Covenant, uh, God's promises to His people. And what a, uh, an appropriate Sunday morning to see a rainbow stretched across the sky in the midst of all that is going on in our world, in the midst of all of this um, separation, uh, physical separation that we're having to endure from one another. What a joy to know that God is still in control. He still keeps His promises. And in fact, the promise that we celebrate this morning, that He would send a Savior who would conquer sin and death, is really what we celebrate this morning. So it is not a day without hope. Uh, it is a day of great hope and great joy. And I'm so glad that you are with us this morning uh, for our special time together. You realize that every Sunday morning we celebrate the resurrection. In fact, that's the reason that the church meets on the first day of the week. So right after the Lord's resurrection, the church gathered on that, that next first day of the week and they specifically marked that day as the day that Jesus had risen. And in fact, that tradition carried through church history. And even to this day, we celebrate resurrection every Sunday. And so we mark today as Resurrection Sunday, as, as a day that we specifically note uh, what, what Christ did in his work of conquering death. But, but really, in a way, we meet every week for that same purpose. And I look forward to being with you again for our, our next time we can be together for a resurrection celebration, which will be the next Sunday morning uh, that we meet together in person. And I don't know what day that will be yet, and I don't think any of us know exactly, um, but we are um, looking forward to that day and being together again. When we are together, 
when we are together on uh, Resurrection Sunday, we'll often do this little ritual uh, where we, we mimic what the early church did. They would greet each other with, He is risen, and then the expected reply was, He is risen indeed. Now, I'm not going to be able to hear you, but I still would like to do that. I think it would be, would be a joy for us in, in wherever we are uh, to respond. So I'll greet you with the normal uh, greeting, and then you will respond, He is risen indeed. He is risen. Well, I'm glad He is risen, and I trust that this morning you are as well, and as we celebrate this today, um, we are excited to be celebrating Christ's resurrection. Well, let me let you know about just a few things that are going on at North Hills, um, just by way of announcements. Now, this evening, we will not have our normal book study. Um, We will be just kind of taking some time with family and uh, enjoy maybe the outdoors. It's supposed to be a nice day today and uh, spend that special time together. So no book study um, tonight for our um, ladies or men. Those will resume again next week. Um, Our life groups are meeting this this week as every week, and we're doing it by Zoom. If you don't already have that information, um, please email the church office. It does come in the weekly uh, update, the weekly bulletin. Uh, But if you're not getting that for some reason or another, just uh, email uh, info at nhbcroundrock.org, and we'll be glad to get you that information. We're not posting that information uh, on the web right now because of some security concerns, but um, we'd be happy to provide you with that so that you can get logged on to that Zoom meeting. And what we do each week is we gather together, we share prayer requests with one another, we encourage one another, and then we discuss the text that we considered on Sunday and how God is teaching us, and this allows us an opportunity to instruct and teach one another in the same way. Well, we're going to try to include Pastor Dan, who's not physically here with us, but um, we're going to throw it over to him and ask him to open our service in prayer this morning. And then after he uh, does, he's going to read the resurrection account from the book of Matthew. Um, So, Pastor Dan, if you're there, we're going to throw it over to you. Would you pray for us and then read scripture for us? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this Easter morning that we can celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection and the hope that is found because of that. We thank you that um, your Son, Christ, was raised up on the cross for our sins and that because of his death, we we can be justified. We can be declared righteous. Although we can't do anything on our own power, no works of righteousness can, can save us. Our faith in you uh, can uh, take away our our sins. We thank you for um, the gospel, a glorious hope that is found in the gospel, uh, that according to the scriptures, Christ died for our sins, and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. I pray that you would help us to find uh, hope in this glorious truth and share this, especially to those who are perishing, to those whose eyes are veiled and don't understand the... Um, the hope that is found uh, within the truths of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that there would be, even today, many people who come to the saving faith in you, um, finding hope that is that was in, within you, um, because of, we can hear your word and, and believe in your name and pass from death into life, um, have our sins paid for. I pray that you would help us to be able to share this truth with people around us. 
I pray for many people around our nation today who are affected by the virus, whether it's sickness or loss of job or um, the many difficulties that are going on now. I pray for um, believers to be able to share the hope that is found within them uh, to be able to uh, minister to the needs of other people uh, and be able to um, share the hope that we have that is in Jesus Christ. I pray that, um, that even as our lives have been changed and our um, patterns of life have been shaken up a bit that, and we have come to truth with our mortality. I pray that you would help us uh, to not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing but that um, our inward man is being renewed day by day. I pray for believers to have this hope and to be able to share this with other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 9. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will, be, you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Life, life everlasting. 
risen, he's risen indeed. The power that raised him from the grave now works in us to powerfully save. He frees our hearts to live his grace. Go tell of his goodness. Tell of his goodness. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Oh, sing hallelujah. Join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Oh, sing hallelujah. Join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. He is risen. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like Sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling, and his spirit's burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that they're scheming 
has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only pride. Sunday's coming. It's pride. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. I can hardly imagine what it must have been like to be the followers of Jesus Christ in the days after the crucifixion. I can only slightly put myself in their shoes. I mean, when we think about it, all of their hopes for the Messiah had been placed in Jesus Christ. And their, their hope was that He would be the Messiah that had been promised, the one that had been foretold by all the prophets. And when Christ was crucified... Their hopes were dashed because in their minds, his death signified the fact that he was not who they thought he was. They thought at that point they were wrong. And so they were, they were robbed. They were, ta they were stolen in their minds. Um, that one that was their hope. Oh, but that darkness, that struggle, that discouragement paled in comparison to the good news that came when Sunday did indeed come, when Christ came forth from the grave. And that is what we celebrate this morning. We celebrate an event that changed the world. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. We have been making our way through the book of Acts, chronicling the early church and the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ. We are a few chapters ahead of here, and if you are with us on a regular basis, you might have noticed that I actually skipped over a passage here in Acts 13 when we were doing our exposition, and that was intentional. It was so that we could come back to this passage this morning on Resurrection Sunday and consider the message that Paul made here on his first missionary journey. Uh, we are in Acts 13, and during this first missionary journey, one of the early stops of Paul and Barnabas was in Antioch of Pisidia. Now, we say Antioch of Pisidia because it's right along the area of Pisidia. And we also say that to distinguish it from the Antioch, the city from which they had been sent. So there's two Antiochs in the book of Acts, and you might want to be aware of that. So this morning, we're going to look at Acts 13, 
And really the passage that we're considering is verses 15 through the end of the chapter. But most specifically, I want us to consider Paul's sermon. Uh, this really begins for us in verse 16, so I would invite you to follow along as I, as I read aloud. We'll, we'll back up a little bit. We'll start in verse 13, or verse 15, rather, and uh, follow with me if you have your Bible open there as I, as I read it. So again, Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 15. After a reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogues sent to them, saying, Men and brethren... If you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. So this is Paul's sermon that he now makes. Of course, Paul would have been a man of notoriety. He would have been a well-learned scholar, a rabbi, a teacher of the law. And with someone in their midst who had that kind of notoriety, they would have given him an invitation to speak after the scripture had been read. And so this would have been uh, common in that day. And so they give him this invitation of verse 16. Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land. I'll not take time to read all of it, but Paul, Saul, begins to chronicle uh, the things that had happened throughout uh, Jewish history. Uh, he, he talks about the wilderness wanderings. He talks about the judges. And then he introduces a transition in verse 22, quoting from David. In verse 23, he then says, From this man's seed, that is David's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus, after John had first preached. Now verse 26, Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwelt in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are, his, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercy of Dave, mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to seek corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption." Let's ask for God's help as we consider this passage of Scripture in these moments together. Our gracious Father, we are thankful for a day that we are able to mark the resurrection. The resurrection which signifies that you have the power to forgive sin, that you have conquered death, and we rejoice in that even this morning. Thank you now for this time that we have to spend in the 
in the Word of God. We pray that it would be helpful to us and encouraging to us. We pray these things in your Son's precious name. Amen. Well, you would have to be buried under a rock to know that right to not know that right now the whole world is talking about the spread of viruses and the the, the germs and and that is what this whole uh, phase of history in our lives is about. I can only help but wonder what we're going to look back on this time and reflect what this was like when we were all in this kind of lockdown mode to prevent the spread of this virus. But can you imagine the fact that not long ago just a couple hundred years ago, there was, there was no awareness of microorganisms, pathogens and viruses and germs, the, the different words that we use to describe these things that affect our health that we can't even see was unknown. The medical community was not aware of the infection that can come. There was an early proponent, a Hungarian doctor, who um, Deary was, treat, was, working at a, uh, was working at Vienna General Hospital between 1844 and 1848, and he began to realize that in the, in the one ward where hand-washing was a regular occurrence, it was a regular practice, that um, the outcomes were much, much better. And as he made these observations, he realized that there were doctors that were literally going from doing autopsies straight to delivering babies without washing their hands. Now, in our modern day, we would look at that and we would be aghast at anything that unsanitary. But in those days, it was not known. And um, his, his uh, theory was really only accepted within his own hospital. And the practice was adopted of washing hands, but it didn't become widespread until the work of a man named Louis Pasteur, um, who, who really developed um, and, and spread the germ theory, the theory of disease uh, as coming from microorganisms. And that, of course, led the way for the treatment of infectious diseases in the 19th century, Sometime after that, um, vaccinations began to eliminate horrific diseases, things like smallpox and, and polio and rabies. Uh, there were then public health measures as people began to understand how bacteria and viruses were transmitted. And then penicillin, uh, the first real antibiotic in 1928, uh, was developed. Now, all of these developments really, they changed the course of history, and in fact, they've even changed our conversation today. They've changed the entire way that we are responding to this pandemic. Our public health officials are giving us instructions uh, about this virus and how we should conduct ourselves and where we sh what we should go and do and what we should not, and all of that is predicated on this development of germ theory. It's something that changed the world. It changed our world. We could go back throughout history and we could point to events, discoveries, wars, assassinations, births, deaths. We could point to them and say, that event changed the world. This morning, we celebrate an event that changed the world, that changed all of history. In fact, not only did it change history, it changed eternity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the pinnacle event 
that the church celebrates. This Resurrection Sunday really is the the high watermark of the Christian calendar. And it is so because the resurrection of Christ is the linchpin upon which our justification rises and falls. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is, as they say in the Latin, the sine qua non. It is the without which not. It, It is the thing that without which there is no Christianity. If Christ be not risen, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we are without hope. Oh, but Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And for that, we can be so thankful. This morning, we celebrate an event not only that changed history, but that changes all of eternity. This morning, we're considering this message that Paul spoke here in Acts 13, verses 26 through 41. And we learn about the good news again this morning. We learn, first of all, about God's preparation of the good news. Really, everything up to verse 30 is God's preparation for the good news. So as you read through this passage and you see what Paul is doing here as he is developing the history of the Jewish people, he's really pointing to the fact that everything led to Jesus Christ, that all Old Testament history, the prophets, the course of events, was, was providentially orchestrated to bring Israel to the point of Jesus Christ, who was their Messiah, their Savior. Really, we could read all of the, the, the events when Paul began speaking there in verse 16, all the way down to verse 30, and then everything turns on verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. We consider the fact that God is the God of history. God is the one who orchestrated all things to prepare for this good news that Paul would be able to bring here in this synagogue in Antioch. Now, you'll notice that in verse 29, just before he announces the resurrection, that he makes this statement, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him. What is he saying? Well, he's recognizing the fact that what happened to Jesus, although it it first struck the disciples as tragic, as unexpected, as out of their control, was not out of God's control. In fact, so much so that the things that happened to Jesus were actually predicted. They were prophesied ahead of time. I want to just give you a quick snapshot of some of the many prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' passion, in the time before he died, and the time that he was on during the time that he was on the cross, and the trial that led up to that. I've given you just a few. You'll see them on the screen. I'm not going to take a lot of time to comment, but but notice that the cry from the cross was prophesied. The jeering and the mockery of the crowd was prophesied, as was the piercing of his hands and feet, the soldiers gambling for his clothing. The fact that none of his bones were broken had been prophesied in in the book of Psalms. He was accused by false witnesses. He was betrayed by a familiar friend. He bore our reproaches. He was given vinegar and gall to drink. He was beaten and spat upon. People did not believe in him, as the prophet Isaiah told us. The Jewish people, by and large, would reject him. 
It was prophesied that he would be a vicarious sacrifice, that he would bear our sins, that he would be silent before his accusers. Isaiah 53 is a classic passage on the work of Christ. We're told also by Isaiah that his grave would be with the rich, that he would be crucified among criminals. We would, he would prophesy that he would come riding on a donkey as he did on that Palm Sunday just the week before he rose, that he would be betray, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver and that his side would be pierced, even though, as we saw earlier, none of his bones would be broken. This is what Paul is referring to in verse 29. He says, they fulfilled all that was written concerning him. This was not out of God's control. God had providentially orchestrated the events of all history to lead up to this very moment. And notice in the last part of verse 32. Last part of verse 32, Paul says this, The promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that He raised up Jesus. God has fulfilled for us, Paul is saying. For those, of, uh, those living in Paul's day, they were able to witness the, 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 the coming to fruition of all that had been prophesied by the prophets before. And how was that prophecy all brought true through the resurrection of Jesus Christ in verse 33? In that he raised up Jesus. Now Paul then goes on to argue the fact that this was predicted, that Christ's work was predicted. He quotes the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. He helps us to understand that this prophecy in the psalms was in fact a prophecy, that it looked forward to this one who would come. But then he goes on further and he declares, verse 32, and we see in that section God's actual provision. The, the preparation had taken place and now God's provision of the good news. Notice in verse 32 he says, we declare glad tidings. Now this, these words that are in our Bible, glad tidings, it might not surprise you to know we could also render them good news. It's actually a compound word in the original language. The prefix means good and then the, the root word is news. Good there's, a, there's, a, there's good news. There's good tidings to be declared. We would say it perhaps this way, the gospel. That's exactly the word that is in the underlying text, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying that in Jesus' resurrection is good news. It goes back to what we said earlier, the fact that without the resurrection, there is no justification. There is no salvation. It is the, the thing upon which everything else rises and falls. But in the resurrection of Christ is good news. This is the good news that, that Paul is declaring and that, that we declare even this morning the good news of Christ's resurrection. Notice how he says it in verse 34 that he raised him from the dead. No more to return to corruption. That is to say God the Father raised Jesus Christ, God the Son, raised Him from the dead. 
no more to return to corruption. Now, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about physical corruption that takes place after the body has died. That is, we might say, decay. And so, he never returned to a state of decay, is what he's saying. He died never to die. He, excuse me, he rose never to die again. He died once for all. But then he rose to live forevermore. He then refers again to the psalm. I'm still in verse 32. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, verse, uh, excuse me, verse 35, I think I may have misspoken. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Again, that idea of corruption is, is decay. You will not allow the, the Chosen One, the Messiah, Christ Himself, to decay, to, to rot in a grave, we might say. There was a physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's be very clear about that. There will, around this time of year, undoubtedly be people who are saying things, something like this. Well, resurrection, uh, Easter Sunday, is a good reminder of renewal, the hope of, of a kind of new life. And this story reminds us about the hope of new life. Well, certainly, the resurrection does remind us about the hope of new life, but, but that's not enough. That is not adequate. If it were not a, a physical resurrection, a bodily resurrection, then that means that God the Father left Jesus Christ the Son to, to rot in a grave. And this is exactly what Paul is saying is not the case. That he, wrote, that he raised Him from the dead never to see corruption, never to see decay. This resurrection of Jesus Christ is not, just mere, is not merely something that is in our hearts. It is not merely a legend that gives us hope. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And because He has conquered sin and death and all that is associated with it, we now have hope. Now, Paul continues to argue his case there in verse 36. David served his own generation by the will of God and then fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. In other words, David was not speaking about himself. This is the argument that, that Paul is making. David was not speaking of himself because David died and rotted in a grave. But the chosen one of God, the Messiah, the Savior, he rose again and is alive even today. And that's what he says in verse 37. He whom God raised up saw no corruption. He, he underwent no decay. He is not in a grave somewhere today. But in fact, he is alive at the right hand of the Father. So why does all this matter? Why is this important? Why is it significant that, that the entire case is made that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us good hope? Wherein lies that hope? How is Christ's resurrection a source of hope for us? Well, we see in verse 38, God's purpose for the good news. God's purpose for the good news comes to us in the form of forgiveness of sin. He says this, notice please in verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you forgiveness of sin. 
because of Jesus Christ, because of the work that he has done, now Paul is articulating the ability for mankind to have forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness is provided by Christ's death. Now let me explain that for a moment. The reality is that you and I deserve to die. We deserve to die physically, and that will come to all of us at the end of our lives. But what happens after death? Well, the Bible speaks about eternal life and eternal death. That after we live in this life, after we live in the flesh, our bodies will go to the grave. They will, as the text says, see corruption. That is to say, they will rot in a grave one day. But that which is the inner part of us, our soul, that lives forever, will, will go on. It will go on either in eternal death, on the one hand, or eternal life. And so, when we talk about the conquering of death, it is very important because the forgiveness of sin, the account standing between us and God, is the watershed. It is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. You see, we deserve not only to, to die physically, but we deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. That separation that we suffer not just in this life, but in the life to come, is what we deserve because of our sin. The reality is this morning that every one of us are born in a state of sin. The Bible makes it clear all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Furthermore, Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. This death that we spoke of is spoken of in the book of Revelation is as eternal death in the lake of fire. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve because we are sinners separated from a holy God. But Jesus Christ himself was perfect. He had no fault in him. He was not guilty of any sin. And so when he laid down his life on the cross, this event that we marked just this past Friday, when he laid down his life on the cross, he did so not to pay for his own sin, not to suffer the penalty that he deserved, but to suffer the penalty that you and I deserve so that we might have forgiveness of sin. Now, if he simply died and stayed dead, stayed in the words of, of the psalmist, he underwent corruption, he, he rotted away in a grave, there would be no power in that. There would be no provision for forgiveness of sin. But because he rose, Paul says, I can now declare to you good news. What is that good news? That forgiveness of sin, I'm in verse 38, that, that we can now preach through this man forgiveness of sin. Sin. Forgiveness is provided by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, how is it that that death, that resurrection, can provide meaning, can provide significance, can provide hope, can provide forgiveness of sin? Well, how is that forgiveness uh, if we could put it this way, appropriated, how do we obtain it? Well, the answer for us is in verse 39. By him, by this one who he's preaching of, this, this Jesus Christ who has paid the penalty for sin, by him, everyone who believes... Now, let's just stop there for a moment. The Bible speaks about dependence on Jesus Christ, believing in or exercising faith in 
It is often wed with another idea in Scripture, that is the idea of repentance, which is turning from our own way, from our own belief, for our own dependence, to depend on Jesus Christ. See, the sin that each of us are guilty of, we can, we can cling to it, we can hold to it, we can continue our rebellion against God, or we can abandon it and throw ourselves completely on the mercy of Jesus Christ. When the Bible speaks about believing, that is what it is talking about when it talks about saving faith. So there's a sense in which the devils themselves believe and tremble, the Bible says. Well, what, we're, what Paul is talking about here is throwing ourselves on, depending on Jesus Christ and His provision. So if you will do that, if you will repent of your sins, turn from your sins to depend on Jesus Christ this morning, by Him, everyone who believes, in verse 39, is justified. Now let's understand that term for, for just a moment. The term justified is actually a legal term. It is found in the book of Acts, it is actually only found here in this one place, but we find it again and again in the writings of Paul under inspiration. We'll get to that in just a moment. But, but Paul is using a legal term to help us to understand what God does when we come to Him in faith and repentance. The verb justify carries the idea of bringing in conformity to a standard. So, We'll sometimes use the word justified when we're talking, you're going to write a paper on your computer, right? And you can click the little icons at the top and talk about right justified, left justified, fully justified. What does that have to do with anything? Well, when you justify something, you are bringing all of it in conformity to a standard. That's where the idea comes. And you justify the paper, you're bringing all of those, the beginning of all those sentences in one line. You're bringing it to a standard. All right? The term is also used legally. And it has the idea of being declared not guilty. In a theological sense, it carries the idea even beyond that of being made righteous. You see, we're not righteous. Not in our natural state. Not in our state of birth. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I can be made righteous before God. In other words, we can be justified. That's what the word justified means here. You see, what you need is not for God to, to wink at your sin, to overlook your sin, to forget about your sin, to, to be unjust. What you and I need is to be justified, to, made, to be made right with God. And this is what Paul articulates in Romans 3. In Romans 3, in verse 24, he says this, "...being justified freely by His grace through the redemption, that is the buying back, that is in Jesus Christ." So consider that with me for just a moment. We're made right with God. We're justified by His grace. Not anything that we deserve, but only through the work that He has provided. The being made right with God comes through Jesus Christ Himself. And so this morning, my friend, you and I can be made right. This morning is not just a day that speaks of hope and renewal and springtime. It actually is a day that speaks about the fact that you can be made right before God. I can be made right before God. We can be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the good news. This is the news that Paul speaks of, and that is what... That is why this is the linchpin of our Christianity. 
I would speak to those of you this morning who are believers. There has been a time when you have repented of your sin and depended on Jesus Christ. As we celebrate Easter this morning, we are reminded that, that without today, without the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, there is no hope. But because of Jesus, we can be made right with God. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning, you've been forgiven of your sin. You are justified before God. You appear before God as righteous as Jesus Christ Himself. And the work that Jesus did on the cross, His burial, His resurrection, was for me. It was for you. As we reflect on that this morning, we should be overwhelmed with joy, with thanksgiving, that Jesus rose because that makes all the difference for eternity. It provides forgiveness of sin. You say, well, but what about the religious deeds that I must do in addition to Jesus' work to provide for my justification? Oh, the scripture is clear. We were just in Romans 3. Let me look with you at verse 28. As he continues the argument, he says, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified. He is made right with God through the works that he does? No. No, that's not what it says. That he is made justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. In fact, this is the same argument that Paul is going to go on to make here in our time of in our text of scripture. Right? He goes on in verse 39 if you still have Acts uh, 13 open. In the last part of verse 39 he says this, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He makes it explicitly clear that the good things that we do are not enough to make us right with God. I wonder this morning is there someone listening to me who you're a religious person. You're a good person. You do, you do things for your neighbors and for the community that are, that are good and, and helpful and kind, and, and you look at others that are not doing that, and you think, well, I'm so much better. Surely, surely God must count that for something. Well, the Bible is clear. The good news is only in Jesus Christ. Our justification is only by depending on His work through faith in Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning... Maybe you would say, well, there are many who need to repent of their sin, but I'm a good person. And in fact, the reality is that many of us, many people need to repent of their goodness. Because it is that, that righteousness that we produce that we think is good enough for God. And that's what we need to surrender. That's what we need to let go of. That is what we need to repent of. This morning, have you depended on Jesus Christ completely? Have you trusted in the good news? This morning, perhaps you are a believer. There's been a time that you have abandoned your own way. You have abandoned your religion. You have abandoned your goodness. And you've depended on Jesus Christ alone for salvation. You've been justified. You've been made right with God. How wonderful at this time of year for us to be able to speak the good news, just as Paul was speaking here about Jesus Christ and His resurrection. John testified and we have seen and do testify the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And that is this morning what you and I are celebrating. Well, I hope you have a wonderful Resurrection Sunday. I hope that as you gather with your family here in these moments ahead of us um, to gather for worship, you sing together, you read Scripture together, 
that it will be a time of joy and reminder that, that all of this work that Jesus did was because we needed a Savior, because we needed to be made right with God. It was for me. It was for you. What we're going to do here in just a moment is, as we did last week, we're going to have a song, a video play that you can meditate on, that you can reflect on. And then when that video is done, we'll, you'll be dismissed for your time of family worship. We have sent out the uh, family worship guide that will be a help, I trust, to you as you read the resurrection story to your children, if there are children in the home, and sing some songs together and, and take a time of reading scripture and praying together. So have a wonderful resurrection day. Thank you again for joining us. We'll dismiss.